solar is great, but solar takes huge amounts of water. What? Oh, Carly. Oh, Carly. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Why did I? I got the feeling that something right. Oh, that's right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I am not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the Stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel. On Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Fine Affiliates in Parts Unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. This is your broadcast, and welcome to it. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. If not Carly Fiorina, but we'll get to her in a second. Uh, yeah, I'm that guy from bradblog.com, and glad you could join us for another thrilling, action-packed episode. Uh, all right, well, let's get right to it. Let's get right to Carly Fiorina. I, it, why? I don't know why. Well, because <laughs> she, because people are pretending that uh, Carly Fiorina is some sort of a legitimate candidate for president of the United States. So, okay, we'll play along. Oddly enough, they don't seem to mention Carly Fiorina's background. They call her a successful businesswoman or the uh, the first uh, woman CEO of a Fortune 50 company or whatever nonsense. Uh, the fact is, she's actually a failed CEO. She was run out on a rail from HP. She was the uh, CEO of, uh, of Hewlett Packard. She moved, uh, she merged the company with Compaq Computers, which at the time uh, was was the largest uh, producer of, of personal computers. Everyone thought she was nuts to do it. It made HP the world's largest personal computer manufacturer at the time. And then she promptly laid off thirty thousand U.S. workers from the company. By the time she was fired by the board of directors, the total number of HP employees was about the same as it was before she had swallowed up compact computers and, and some other companies, and the stock price of HP had fallen to half of its value from when Fiorina uh, became CEO in the first place. In other words, she was a failure, which is fine. I don't hold it against her, but let's not pretend she was not a failure. Yes, she was the first woman to head up a Fortune 50 company, but she blew it. She was a disaster. She failed at her job. Now, years ago, years ago, I did a, a job uh, for HP myself some years ago. I was interviewing various designers and engineers at a number of the corporate locations for some a, an in-house video project that they were doing some years ago. And all they could talk about at the time, it was right after Carly Fiorina left. All they could talk about was how happy they were that she was gone. I, everybody worked there. It was, it was just after she left. And they were like, oh, my God, thank God she's gone. She was running this company into the ground. 
So she's not the, you know, the governor of a state uh, like a Chris Christie or a Bobby Jindal or a Scott Walker, where we can say, oh, the, you know, the, the people who the citizens of their state know him best, know him best and don't like him like them, like in New Jersey for Chris Christie or in Louisiana for Bobby Jindal or in Wisconsin for Scott Walker. But she did run a company and they didn't like her. They fired her. But I guess we have to pretend she's a legitimate candidate because, after all, she is running and she shows up on Fox News. Now, with her fantastic success at HP, she then went out to run for the uh, U.S. Senate in California. Well, actually, she went to work for John McCain's fantastically successful 2008 campaign. And then she went to work uh, to run for the U.S. Senate in California against Barbara Boxer, and she got trounced. She failed again. So naturally, with such a winning record, she heard her calling to run for president of the United States as a Republican. Wouldn't you? How could she go wrong? Well, in the uh, down is up, up is down Republican Party these days, apparently failure also equals success. So Carly is running. And since she didn't faint at the podium at the uh, recent Fox News GOP kitty table debate, And uh, she pronounced several angry sentences in a row without tripping over any of the words, hardly at all. Because of that, she's, of course, surging in the polls. Uh, Look how well our lady candidate did, apparently. That was the uh, GOPers' response, I guess, because it wasn't all that impressive. But they, for for whatever reason, they liked her. They also liked uh, their African-American candidate. He also didn't pass out at the podium, so Ben Carson got a bump. So Carly is surging. Well, not really surging. But unlike most of the other candidates who are not named Donald Trump or Ben Carson or maybe Ohio Governor John Kasich, uh, Carly Fiorina actually got a bit of a bump at, after the debate, and uh, she's now supposedly seen as some sort of a viable alternative to Trump, I guess, should he blow up, which he will not. But, but, that also means she gets to uh, face the spotlight a bit, which we will be doing on the show today. We've spent uh, quite a bit of time on guys like Scott Walker, and we even did a whole show about John Kasich, but we haven't really talked about Carly, so we get to do that today. And uh, remember uh, Desi Doyen, Desi Doyen, our producer, hi, how are you? Hey. Uh, You are always complaining about the mainstream corporate media doesn't ask tough questions, doesn't ask any questions, frankly, on climate to the presidential candidates. Uh, well, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> Ms. Doyen, because Carly was asked about climate by Katie Couric over the weekend, and they discussed the issue for an entire four minutes. Which is an eternity yes, is. in Republican politics. In any politics. What are you talking about? Any politics. So we'll find out how she did in those four minutes shortly, as we'll be joined by the great David Roberts of Vox.com to dissect her responses, which he wrote about. In a piece at uh, Vox recently headlined, Carly Fiorina did a four-minute riff on climate change. Everything she said was wrong. So we'll find out what was wrong. And uh, he'll also uh, discuss David Roberts. So we'll be here to discuss a new report on climate change and what to do about it and how much of it will or in this case won't, uh, how much of it will it will cost as compared to continuing to use fossil fuels uh, this is a report put together by those radical lefty environmentalist tree huggers at, wait for it, Citibank. 
So we'll see what Citibank has to say about investing in renewables. So all of that is ahead and more on the presidential race in a moment. But first, just very quickly yesterday, as everyone was panicking about the stock market crashing, we had David Dayen on to explain it and explaining why nobody should really be panicking at all. We made fun of the panickers, specifically Glenn Beck, who we surmised at the time was no doubt using the moment to sell more stuff and make more money from gullible chump suckers and stooges and patsies who follow him and buy his survival seeds and his gold and his guns and his ammos. Well, here, thanks to a tip from our friend Tom Reynolds over at our affiliate FYI Nation, is Glenn Beck last night, (laughs) just after the Dow's 500-point drop, warning that the real correction is still to come to the stock market, and it will be an apocalypse. When the correction finally hits and we're not there, it is going to be worse than 2008, worse than 2007, which percentage-wise was the worst drop we've ever had that is worse, 1987, percentage-wise, than the Great Depression. And if we continue to follow progressive principles and, quite honestly, common core math, we will repeat the same mistakes that we made in the 1930s and the 1940s, and the world will follow with fascism, communism, war, and hunger. It's going to happen, gang. Yes, it's going to happen. Now, you and I have been made fun of relentlessly for advising our friends to prepare. But believe me, no one will be laughing when the chickens come home to roost. Buy my stuff. It's not a matter of uh, if. It is truly a matter of when. So better buy my stuff. Are you prepared? Prepared? Do you have food on hand? Ah. Do you have cash on hand? Do you have ammunition and guns? And Ah, God, most importantly. And God, most importantly, buy my stuff. What does Common Core math have to do with the coming apocalypse? I have no clue. But like clockwork, there was Glenn Beck selling uh, gold guns and survival seeds on the Glenn Beck program. Who would have saw that coming? Thanks, Tom Reynolds, for sending that in. All right, before we get to our break, a new poll released on Tuesday from PPP, the second poll in a row showing Senator Bernie Sanders leading former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in the Democratic primary in New Hampshire. Sanders received 42 points among Democrats in the state, while Clinton received just 35. None of the other four declared Democratic candidates reached double digits. That's the second poll out of New Hampshire showing Sanders with Sanders momentum. On August 12th, uh, a a different poll, Franklin Pierce University uh, Boston Herald poll, showed him uh, similarly, leading Clinton by seven points. Sanders' uh, likability is uh, through the roof. 78% of voters uh, find him favorable and 12% unfavorable. Meantime, on the Republican side, also from PPP in New Hampshire, Donald Trump leads the field with more than three times the support of his closest competitor. <laughs> Uh, the the uh, Democratic-leaning uh, PPP poll found Trump in his strongest position thus far with 35% support among the usual Republican primary voters in New Hampshire. Ohio Governor Kasich polls at second with 11%, and former technology executive Carly Fiorina polls at 10%. No other candidate reaches double digits. None. Scott Walker Uh, His support went over a cliff. He was at 24 percent in the PPP poll uh, last April. He is now down at seven, tied with Governor Jeb Bush. 
There you have it, your latest polls. Speaking of Carly Fiorina, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with David Roberts and we'll talk about her and just how amazingly wrong she is. I'm Brad Friedman and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. I get you're wasting your time. Huh? The more you ignore me, the closer I get. It's true. You're wasting your time. Yes, just keep ignoring it. Keep ignoring the global warming. It will go away. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, okay, we uh, <laughs> this. You know, uh, a, a year or two ago, uh, David Roberts, uh, when he was over at Grist.org, great uh, environmental uh, reporter, journalist, uh, he stopped. Uh, he took off for a year. And at the time, I, as I recall, one of the reasons was is because of the uh, sort of uh, groundhog nature of reporting on this, where you have to sort of go through the same things over and over and over again. But I think it's important to do that. And, uh, well, we've got an excuse to do that uh, today, oh, brother, um, with uh, with Carly Fiorina. And uh, she's supposed to be, remember, she's going to be one of the sensible ones, one of the reasonable ones, one of the not crazy Republicans to uh, step in and uh, and win the nomination when somehow magically Donald Trump falls apart. Doubt that's ever going to happen. But in any event... Uh, she's one of the reasonable Republicans, we are told, the not-crazy Republicans. Well, we will find out if that is true or not. Joining us now is David Roberts, longtime writer at Grist.org. He is now a staff writer for Vox.com, focusing on politics, climate, and energy. He has contributed to or been featured in the New York Times, the Boston Globes, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Outside Magazine, and Wired, and, of course, his... Uh, his proudest achievement appearing uh, from time to time here on the broadcast. David Roberts, welcome back to the show, sir. Glad to be here, Brad. Okay, glad to have you here, and uh, sorry to put you through. The, is this the sort of thing, because I want to go through, uh, we, we had to do something very similar a couple of weeks ago when it came to Mike Huckabee, who went out and made some statement about climate change being, uh, oh, we were told in the 70s, the planet was going to, uh, to to freeze. We were all going to become popsicle. Remember that? And it, it's it's maddening, but these 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 myths, these zombie myths, are so persistent and repeated over and over again. I I think we have to respond to them, even as maddening as it is. Do we not, David? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta 
I have to write something every day. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, okay, so but I have to respond to them. I don't know if like a normal person needs to worry about it. Well, okay, but people in the news media, when you've got a Carly Fiorina who everyone was pretending she was absolutely fantastic in that Fox News debate a couple of weeks ago, and oh, she's going to be the reasonable one. She's surging. They pretended, and she was. She got a bump in the poll and uh, polls, and I think it was because she, you know was able to string a sentence together that sounded somewhat coherent-ish. Um, and, and so a lot of people are looking to her to say, hey, look, she's going to be at, you know, could at least, at the very least, she could be on the uh, vice presidential ticket. And she, here she is out saying these things to Katie Couric. Uh, as you noted uh, at Vox.com, David, uh, that uh, she interviewed, uh, Katie Couric recently interviewed Carly Fiorina. The subject of climate change came up, which it rarely does. Uh, they discussed it for over four minutes, and you said likely marking the longest any national GOP figure has spent talking about climate change in the past, past five years. But then she went on to offer one piece of nonsense after another, stuff that has long ago been debunked, I think, but uh, apparently she can get away with this because people don't know it's debunked. So you wrote something, and I'd love to go through. You sort of went piece by piece through what she had to say and replied... Essentially, how each of these points are nonsense. And um, there's also, by the way, a, a Citibank report that came out concerning climate change that isn't nonsense. And I do want to get to that in, in a few minutes here. But can we go through uh, this Carly uh, thing? And, and I'll just let you, uh, you, well, you knock it down as you see fit. We'll just go through point by point. We've got the audio. And I'll let you uh, respond to, the, the, to this uh, reasonable, moderate Republican's uh, thoughts on climate change. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's go uh, comment uh, number one. Every one of the scientists that tell us that climate change is real and being caused by man-made activity also tell us that a single nation acting alone can make no difference at all. Nothing we can do, David. It's just pointless for the U.S. or any other country to do anything because, you know, one, one nation acting alone can make no difference. Yeah, well, just to, to take a step back real quick, I mean, I do want to distinguish these particular errors from the kind of errors you were discussing earlier about the science. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting here is that moderate Republicans, insofar as that species still exists, moderate Republicans have decided that just outright science denial is no longer working for them. They've, <clears throat> I think they've concluded that it makes them look old, old and cranky and backwards, and they need, you know, and, and it's and it's hurting them with young people and Latinos. So they, do, so I think there's uh, at least a small uh, collection of moderate Republicans who have started thinking about, okay, what do we do? What next? Like if we if we're not going to deny the science, mm -hmm. how do we find a different way, a different position on this issue that still allows us, of course, to oppose any conceivable government action <laughs> to not do you know, anything how do we legitimately yeah, we, find an excuse to do nothing yeah, how do we how do we oppose doing anything right. without denying the science so right. that's the dilemma that's that's in front of them and that's what fiorina is is trying to solve here so so the the hot argument on this front is the first one she mentioned which you just said which is that even if it's a problem mm -hmm one nation can't do anything and so so the way they make this point is the guys at the at the Cato Institute ran the numbers and they found that um Obama's clean power plan mm -hmm. which everybody you know which is 
being headlined as this big, bold move in the fight against climate change, in and of itself would only avoid point zero, where is it, point zero one eight <laughs> degrees of warming by 2100. Mm-hmm. So the point here is just that uh, one nation's climate policies cannot in and of themselves substantially affect the temperature, which is, you know, strictly speaking, true. true. It is true. Right. <laughs> question is not whether it's true it's what what you take from that and and you know the republicans seem to be saying because things we do can have only a small effect not no effect mm-hmm. but only a small effect on temperature therefore we shouldn't do anything therefore we should just let the problem go and get worse because what else are you going to do <laughs> i don't really they don't really ever follow the implications out like fiorina didn't say one nation can't do anything Therefore, we should let all the horrible consequences of climate change unfold as they're going to and sit back helplessly and watch. But that's the that's the implied. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarre <laughs> argument, isn't it? Because nobody's really talking about only one nation uh, acting alone. All of the nations. Uh, obviously, we've got this uh, this U.N. climate summit coming up uh, next month, I guess, in Paris. But. All along, we've been talking about, well, what can we do to set the example for other countries and what are other countries doing? For decades, we've been working to create international coordination, and the U.S. is a leader in the world, and what it does is going to influence other countries. And, and of course, you know, anybody who understands the the scope, the scale of climate change understands that it's going to have to be all the world's major countries working together for a long time before there's any substantial mm-hmm. effect on, on global temperatures. It's a big, it's a really big problem. But, you, <clears throat> but, that's, but it's, it's weird to sort of say we should abdicate any moral leadership on this problem and be proud of that as mm-hmm. your position. It's just a weird, like, if there was any, like, imagine saying the same thing about terrorism, like shooting one terrorist... You know, or killing one terrorist is not going to solve terrorism. And that, and so what's the point of spending the money to go find the terrorist and shoot him? Like, they would never they would never take that position on any other You're right, and they've been making, that, problem. They've been making that argument for years that Obama, that, you know, claiming, oh, he's leading from behind, and here is an opportunity to lead, and they're against him leading because, oh, what what can one nation do? All right, we got a lot of these clips to get through in this four minutes. She jam-packed a lot of BS into a single uh, uh, remark, so let's go to... Uh, Number two, now, of course, uh, Carly Fiorina uh, is out here in California. She uh, uh, ran and lost against Barbara Boxer, uh, what, two years ago, I think, or in 2012 for for the U.S. Senate. And she says, Carly Fiorina says, that out here in California, uh, the the environmental regulations are just destroying us. So when I see a state like California destroy lives and livelihoods, with environmental regulation that will make no difference at all to climate change. When I see the Obama administration take that same regulation and apply it nationally, it will make no difference at all, and yet we're destroying people's lives and livelihoods. I wonder, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this when it won't have any impact? Lives and livelihoods destroyed in California, David Roberts. Well, I mean, this, of course, is absolutely core to Republican ideology mm-hmm. that 
that government regulation in and of itself, by definition, slows the economy, crushes jobs, and destroys lives. Like right. this is this is more this is more core to their ideology than any kind of position on science mm-hmm. is. And, and of course, it's nonsense. It's nonsense for a couple of reasons. One is the regulations that uh, California ha- has put in place are not only aimed at climate change. There are also immense co-benefits for the reduction in local pollutants, which has health benefits. You know, the incredible um, uh, burgeoning clean energy economy in California, which is a world leader in almost every clean clean energy, you know, index mm-hmm. in the world. And of course, <clears throat> California is booming. It created more jobs than any other state in the nation last year. It's yep. got the fifth highest GDP growth rate in the country. It is it it is prosperous and clean. The the economy, the GDP is growing, and carbon intensity and energy intensity are falling. California is is a, a, a demonstration proof that you can pass these regulations and have cleaner air and water and have cleaner energy and still have a healthy, growing economy. So the idea that lives and livelihoods are being destroyed in California is just just made up uh, they, and they do they just make we talked a little bit about this on on yesterday's show they just make stuff up about california as if it's true and and think that nobody's going to correct them because generally they don't so they can still go along with the myth that you know oh, california liberal fruits and nuts the the economy is a disaster no it's not we're doing great out here well, and, it's kind of like how they talk about europe like it's it's become utterly disconnected right. from the actual continent of europe and it's just become a symbol of everything they want you know every mm-hmm. every Every evil they want to project, they, Europe is like a, a code word for all of it now. And, and you offer some hard some hard statistics in your reply here. You say between 1993 and 2013, and remember this is during the the entire fake Enron, uh, you know, energy debacle that all went on during this period. But you say between 93 and 2013, thanks to energy efficiency, the average residential electricity bill in California declined. Uh, by 4%, even as bills rose elsewhere in the country. And between 90 and 2012, the state cut per capita carbon emissions by 25% and increased GDP by 37%. In other words, it's the complete opposite picture uh, of what Carly Fiorina is is noting. And you also uh, point out correctly that California created more jobs than any other state in the nation last year and has the uh, fifth highest GDP growth rate. So, and, and its budget is balanced. Yes, yes. Which just goes to show all the wonderful things that can happen when you finally get a Democratic supermajority and you don't have Republicans blocking everything. You get fiscally responsible and environmentally responsible yep. and economically responsible policy. After, which, of course, like... Yeah. Doesn't make any impression on anyone if everyone just lies about it on TV all the time and no one bothers to Google. No, exactly. That was like after a decade or two of Fox News saying uh, California is about to file for bankruptcy. They're going to be out of business. It's such a disaster out there. And then we got a Democratic governor. And oh, in about a week, everything was OK. We're balanced. Budget is balanced. We've got a surplus now. I mean, it was just amazing. All right, let's go to uh Oh, number three. Uh, yeah, we, we, we just let's just wait for uh, innovation to save us. So I think the answer to this problem is innovation, not regulation. 
There you go. We'll just wait. Uh, we'll just figure out how to, a technical fix at the last minute when we need it and live happily ever after, David Roberts. Well, the key, the key here is that the policy that they're talking about here, and Jeb Bush is supporting this too, mm-hmm. is basically amounts to tax breaks for uh, natural gas and coal to clean their, their act up. Clean so coal. The, the, the promise, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's funny, later in the same segment, Fiorina argues against, you know, she's bashing solar and wind and bashing the very policies that have, that have sparked innovation in solar and wind. So it's not innovation across the board. Mm-hmm. What she's talking about is giving money to the coal industry mm-hmm. for clean coal. That's, that's, that's what's behind this rhetoric. But the you know the sort of larger promise I think from from Republicans here to their base and to their constituencies are, even if we admit that this is a problem, we're not going to tax anybody or penalize anybody or regulate anybody. So don't worry, we'll we'll support innovation, which means giving you tax breaks, basically. <laughs> like no one will suffer. Let Let's not pick winners and losers, as they're fond of saying unless they happen to be the winners in the coal industry, and then let's give them a bunch of money. I know. It's such the opposite <laughs> of the free market ideology. Yep. They, they, they sort of claim to, you know, instead of sort of an economy-wide technology-neutral policy, like, right. oh, say, cap-and-trade, which they rejected a few years ago, they want to go industry by industry giving people tax breaks for specific technologies, which is the opposite of what, you know, sort of your standard free market uh, ideology would tell you to do, which just goes to show how much that free market ideology is actually operative. It's almost as if they have no actual real governing philosophy and they're making this up as they go along. Let's go to, uh, speaking of making it up as they go along, this is one of my favorites, uh, and we've combined four and five here. Uh, this is uh, China, the old uh, the old uh, China ruse. Go ahead. But I must say it angers me when liberals say, I'm prepared for you to lose your job in the name of sending a signal to whom China could care less. In fact, China is delighted that we are not spending any time or energy figuring out clean coal because they're going to go do it. Oh, the old China MacGuffin. Uh, China doesn't care about any of this. They're they're laughing at us. As a matter of fact, what favorite montage of mine, uh, David Roberts, uh, could could well, already in reply to Carly Fiorina here, here is some uh, just a quick montage of Republicans over the years saying this essentially the same thing. We can't do we shouldn't do anything because China will never, ever, ever, ever do anything. China, India, all these countries that are still growing, and they're not going to stop doing what they're doing. America's a country. It's not a planet. The experts agree that a climate policy that does not include massive energy consumers like China and India is essentially meaningless. We can't do it alone as one nation. The, the benefit, I think, is difficult to justify when you realize that it's, it's only us doing it. Nobody else is doing this. I don't think we can control the emissions from China and India, nor do they have any desire to control The United States is a country. It's not a planet. If we have statements such as we do have from the leaders in China and in India and in other countries saying under no circumstances are they going to accept any kind of mandatory reduction. What are we doing here?
what are we doing here? They're not ever going to do anything. And of course, a lot of those voices you just heard, Marco Rubio, he's running for president. He's he's thought to be one of these reasonable Republicans. Uh, John Boehner, Mitch McConnell, leaders, leaders, the reasonable leaders of the Republican Party all agree with Carly Fiorina that uh, China couldn't care less. They are laughing at us, David Roberts. Uh, they are laughing at us, and that's because we're farting around, and they are moving in and completely dominating the renewable energy uh, uh, space. That's why they're laughing at that's us. True. I mean, this is like this is a talking point that uh, you know, as your, as your montage makes the point, has been around for for literally decades now. And despite the fact that during the time they've been saying this, China has woken up to this massive air pollution they pro- problem they have invested more in renewable energy than any other country in the world, invested more in nuclear than any other country in the world, more in clean coal than any other country in the world, are putting increasingly stringent restrictions on coal imports, on coal burning, on coal plants. Their consumption of coal actually declined for the first time in ages last year. So so even as China is putting its entire the entire weight of its leadership and economy behind this effort to clean up energy, the talking point from U.S. Republicans has not changed a whit. The, the rhetoric hasn't even changed at all. They're still saying the exact same thing. So, I mean, if anybody's laughing at anybody, it's China laughing at us for our ridiculous, frozen, stymied <laughs> politics while they are you know, unified and moving in a single direction. I mean, it's like it's just- and making money. I making money. I mean, they when it came to you know Solyndra and the, one another favorite Republican uh, talking points that oh look how solar uh, so we gave uh, loan guarantees to Solyndra. They went out of business. Well, one of the reasons they went out of business is because China was putting so much into solar at the time that Solyndra couldn't compete with the with the money that China was investing in that. I, am I correct in that point? Yeah, no, I mean, China uh, heavily, heavily subsidized solar panel manufacturing and consequently has been dominating, utterly dominating that space and, and pushing other forms of solar, which the U.S. was trying to, I mean, that's what Solyndra was, is one alternative to mm-hmm. PV panels that, that, you know, we were trying to, you know, to return to a previous point, trying mm-hmm. to stimulate innovation yep. in this area, but just China just swamped us with money basically in cheap panels so now they're owning you know now they own that space and that everybody agrees is going to be a ginormous growth industry probably for the rest of the century and china is placing itself at the forefront of it okay that's wanna, why they're laughing at it i want to get to the uh, to the bird shortly because uh, i love this part but uh coal uh, pr- she says coal provides half the energy in this nation still and then she says, uh, basically, well, she, you know, she talks about uh, Barack Obama's war on coal. So to say we're going to basically outlaw coal, which is what this administration has done, is so self-defeating. Are we outlawing coal, David Roberts? Oh, geez. No, <laughs> I mean, coal, coal does not provide half the energy in the nation. It provides 20 percent of total electricity. It provides 39 percent of electricity. And that number is declining, but it's not declining primarily because of anything, uh, because of regulations. It's declining primarily because of super cheap natural gas and declining, uh, you know, renewables are falling 
in price rapidly and energy efficiency has been stronger in recent years than people expected. So overall demand for electricity has been flat. In other words, it's market forces that are crushing coal in the U.S. And the only way to keep coal alive in the U.S. would be for the government to subsidize it, which, of course, we know... Republicans hate choosing winners and losers, so we know they would never do that. So the free market is killing coal, but they won't tell you that. They will tell you that it's Barack Obama. And I guess in one respect, it is Barack Obama in that he's allowing all this fracking to happen, which is making uh, natural gas cheaper. But yeah, okay. if they really want to, if they really yeah. want to win the war on coal, they need to take on natural gas and fracking. Yep. Which of course, they don't want to do. Of course not. Uh, and and I love this is always a favorite, and it doesn't come up enough uh, on wind technology. Carly Fiorina reveals the truth, the truth about the real dangers, the real costs of uh, of of wind energy. And you know who's paying the biggest costs? Those poor birds. We will explain all of that and more with David Roberts from Vox.com right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Yes, some mighty winds are blowing across the land and across the sea. It's blowing peace and freedom. It's blowing equality. Yes, it's blowing peace and freedom. It's blowing you and me. Okay, well, we will talk in a minute about who is and isn't getting blown. I am Brad Friedman from the Bradcast. Thank you for staying with us. We're speaking with David Roberts, longtime writer over at Grist.org, now at Vox.com, about his article, his piece about Carly Fiorina, who did a four-minute riff on climate change, as David Roberts says, and everything she said was Wrong. All right. Well, we've gone through uh, everything she said about uh, killing jobs. She was wrong about uh, China laughing at us. She was wrong uh, about uh, coal, the importance of coal. She was wrong. (sighs) So now it's on to wind turbines. One of my favorite myths about uh, climate change from the from the deniers out there. And this is, of course, the moderate, the common sense Carly Fiorina. Here's what she had to say about wind turbines. Wind technology is very exciting to people, but do we tell people the truth that it slaughters millions of birds every year? I mean, eagles, falcons, birds that people care about. Do we tell people that it's slaughtering these birds? Does anyone see how honestly, unsightly those huge wind turbines are on some of the most beautiful hills? In other words, there is no magic answer. (laughs) So... First, we'll get to the unsightliness in a second, but birds, the birds that not just that people apparently uh, care about, but also the ones they don't care about. Um, David Roberts, what's what's the real truth? They're trying to save the birds by uh, not putting this wind technology, these turbines in place, David. I love this. uh, I love this. Like we're talking about birds. That people care about, not all those disposable birds. I know, people. right? The one uh, eagles. Well, I mean, this is a long, about. this is a long, long, long time attack against wind, and it's and it's ridiculous. You know, the uh, the the best peer-reviewed information we have is that wind turbines kill uh, a couple of hundred thousand birds a year. Six point eight million die from colliding with cell and radio towers, and somewhere between one point four and three point seven billion birds a year are killed by cats that's that's billion versus a couple hundred thousand 
from wind turbines. We need and to outlaw housecats because they are <laughs> killing our bird population in a way that wind turbines never even thought of. And and it's worth pointing out that m- most of the uh, bird kills from the er- earliest generation of wind turbines had to do with poor, uh, you know, poor technology and really bad siting of wind farms. But both those have improved by leaps and bounds. And there's a lot of evidence showing that a properly sited, properly located wind farm has virtually no effect at all on birds. Meanwhile, it's also worth pointing out that coal mining, coal transport, coal burning, mm. and coal ash disposal all pollute bird habitats and kill birds. And coal collectively it kills uh, many, many, many multiples the amount of birds that any other energy source kills. And the clean coal that Carly Fiorina says she loves doesn't solve any of those problems. It leaves all those problems intact. So, you know, by endorsing coal, she's basically endorsing bird slaughter. (laughs) Yes. And will anyone reveal the truth about the bird slaughter of coal? (laughs) And I love love the idea that she's revealing some truth that people are hiding that wind turbines are unsightly. That's not really something you could hide. <laughs> yes. It's not really a secret. Everybody can look at them. Yeah, and by the way, I don't think they're unsightly at all. I, when I moved out here to California and the first time I drove uh, through the desert to Palm Springs and saw this these huge wind farms, I thought they were really, really cool. I, I yeah. don't know. I, I don't have a problem with them. Well, I mean, majorities in, in the U.S., in the U.K., in the E.U., support wind turbines even if they're sighted close to them this whole idea that they're unsightly is is a a narrow niche nimby objection and that that is mainly coming from wealthy people who live on the coast who don't like looking at wind turbines out on their beautiful ocean views but again here i think um it's worth noting that existing energy infrastructure is also super ugly coal plants Oil refineries, yep. pipelines, those things are ugly, but guess who lives around those things? Right. Poor, poor people right. live around those things. Those things get put where the poor people live. Yep. And guess how much attention the media pays to poor people's aesthetic objections to energy infrastructure? Smartly, right? yeah. Zero, zero percent of right. attention. So, I mean, if we're going to compare energy infrastructure to energy infrastructure, let's do it. You know, let's ask the people who live around... Uh, you know, right. export terminals, h- how they find the aesthetics. Exactly right. Yeah, that never co- you never hear about that. All right, uh, last point here from this uh, piece, Carly Fiorina, uh, and, and this is, th- remember, this is Carly Fiorina. She is not the crazy one. She is not Donald Trump. She's reasonable and moderate. And then she offers uh, this on solar, which was shocking, uh, a shocking statistic to me. There is no perfect source of energy. Every one of them has a downside. Solar is great, but solar takes huge amounts of water. What? There isn't water in a lot of the places where solar energy works well. Uh, solar takes huge amounts of water, David Roberts? This is a point that even I have not heard in the past, uh, so I can't even respond to it. It does? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. What? Um, I think it's hard for me to, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how to diagnose what's going on in her brain, but I think Mm -hmm. what was going on here is that she's referring to concentrated solar plants, which are those big plants where all the mirrors 
They oh. focus the sunlight on a tower, right. and then they boil water, which drives a steam turbine, which creates energy. Anyway, those existing concentrated solar plants do require a lot of water. Mm. But there's two things to say about that. One is all of the distributed solar in the U.S. and 84% of the utility-scale solar plants use solar PV panels, solar mm -hmm. panels, which require no water at all, other than what it takes to keep them clean. Right. They, there's no water involved at all. So it's 14 or 16% of solar plants in the U.S. require water, and there's new technology available now that's being added to new concentrated solar plants, which reduces their need for water consumption by 97%. Mm. So it's a tiny fraction of solar that requires lots of water, and that problem has already been technologically solved and is already being, you know, it's already being implemented. So no, it's, it's absurd. The idea that solar has a particular water problem is absurd. It's the opposite. That's why solar is has an advantage over large thermoelectric plants like nuclear. Nuclear requires tons of water. Yeah. Coal, coal plants require tons of water. Solar, that's its whole advantage. Solar panels require none. That's why mm -hmm. it's so appropriate out in the desert. And, uh, uh, oil and gas, uh, drilling for natural gas, fracking, yep. needs huge amounts of water. Sol solar is the least uh, water intensive, and uh, yet from the sensible, reasonable Republican uh, alternative to Donald Trump, we hear just, uh, I mean, one piece after another. And I'm sorry to have to make you go through that, David Roberts, but I think people need to hear hear those points. Uh, point well, by I, point. Think, I think it's worth making kind of a meta point here, which yeah. is that Republicans have spent so long um, dug in on this stupid science debate over mm -hmm. climate change. They've spent so long in that debate, they haven't bothered to notice or look around or educate themselves at all about what's going on mm -hmm. in this area. So now that they're leaving the science denial behind, slowly but surely, they're just wandering out into this territory where they haven't, where they know almost nothing. You know, they're just stepping on rakes everywhere. Like, this is what happens when you're trying to speak about a topic that you just haven't given a crap about and haven't bothered to learn anything about and, you know and the funny thing is like fiorina's video the video of this interview has been posted on you know all these conservative websites and all these conservatives are saying wow this is how you do it like this is how you handle the climate change question like she really nailed katie couric which just goes to show that the republicans you know republicans don't have any experience or knowledge of these issues at all and have no capability of distinguishing bs from truth. So it's just like they've spent so long arguing about science that now they have this sort of crash course ahead of them. They need to like study up and start learning about like energy and what's actually happening out there in the world. And man, are they unprepared. Did Katie Couric, for her part, uh, David Roberts, uh, how, how did she acquit herself? Is this one of the oh, dangers of bringing up these geez. issues that you can't res uh, respond to? Well, I mean, uh, it's always hard to I mean, it's always hard to know what you should do in that situation. I mean, what Couric did, basically, is just passively sit there and let Fiorina say all sorts of nonsense. Right. And all the only thing Couric seemed concerned with is just forcing Fiorina to acknowledge that climate change is real 
and it's an issue. And I just think that in 2015, the bar should be a little bit higher than that. Like you, you know, like yeah. you should ask maybe just a little bit more of candidates than like admitting that the vast majority of scientists are not involved in some hoax. Like, can we can we ask more of them than yeah. that? But you know, that's all. Couric. I don't think Couric probably knew much more than Fiorina does about the details. That's the thing. Like the media doesn't know much more. The mainstream media doesn't know much more than Republicans uh, do. It's they true. They haven't been paying attention. No, yeah, I was going to say it's true. They don't, but it seems like they should by now. I mean, it, this has been well, this is not a new subject that came up. You know, we we've been uh, you know talking about this now for decades, uh, and it, it I I think someone like Katie Couric should know more, but I guess she can't take her time replying to each and every point. I guess. Yeah, and and, and what, in fairness, yeah. in fairness, this is an area, uh, uh, um, you know, climate policy, but especially energy and clean energy, where things are just really, really rapidly developing. Things mm-hmm. are changing in a big way really quickly. And it's hard. It's genuinely difficult to keep on top of it. It's genuinely difficult to have a good sort of macro grasp of, of what's going on. It's challenging even for, you know, uh, uh, people like me who spend all day marinating in it. But, but man, we got to raise the, the level of literacy about this because uh, that was, you know, the whole performance was just so sad and abysmal. I'm speaking with uh, uh, Vox.com's uh, Katie Couric apologist, David Roberts, <laughs> about climate change. And we've got just a minute or two left here, uh, David. Uh, city, uh, now, here's something that does matter. Now, we've seen a lot of reports like this, and again, they also don't get uh, properly reported. So we need to at least note this. Uh, Citibank hardly... Uh, or City GPS, which is a research arm of Citibank, hardly a bunch of uh, lefty tree huggers, I suppose, has come out with a new report finding once again that the cost of inaction, is, uh, of taking no action, of just continuing the status quo, is at least as much or more than actually taking action to change the way we, we get energy not just in this country, but around the globe, as I understand their their report, is that right? Yeah, I mean, the sort of the the big headline conclusion was that um, you know they they modeled two scenarios. One is business as usual. One is this sort of massive shift to clean energy. And mm-hmm. basically, what they found is the massive shift to clean energy requires a little bit more spending um, in the in the initial few years. Mm-hmm. But then, as you know, renewables are getting cheaper so fast that in later years. Um, the net spending required actually goes down in that scenario. So, so net net, the two scenarios, the spending required, the global spending required on energy is about the same between the two scenarios. But meanwhile, the second scenario, the clean scenario, you're avoiding these potentially enormous climate damages, these potentially enormous liabilities that we don't understand very well precisely, but at least potentially are enormous, like enormous economy-crushing uh, uh, kinds of consequences. So, so it's basically, do you do the same thing you're doing at enormous risk, or do you take this alternative route, which costs about the same, yeah. and avoids this enormous risk? And, it's just a, and you know. they're not talking about, you know, the long term in this case is by 2040, as I understand it. That's not yeah, very yeah. long after all, and they're saying by 2040 that uh, we would actually save money, will actually cost less less to shift to clean energy, if I understand this, and 
they don't even include the ex- the so-called externalities, do they? The 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 costs of the health, uh, you know, the the, the costs right, of dirty right. air and it, so forth. I mean, a, a lot of the health benefits get left out, and there's a lot of benefits um, of reducing fossil fuel pollution that are just difficult to. You know, there's so many benefits, and the benefits interact with each other in different ways. So, like, you're, you have fewer sick days, which means more people are working mm-hmm. more often, which means less lost productivity. It's hard to kind of, it's hard to, to quantify all those things. But yeah. suffice to say, like, even aside from climate change, just the, the benefits to health, just the health benefits alone would probably pay for the transition, even if you don't care about climate change. And so if, if that's the case, if 2040, which ain't that long from now, uh, you know, we would have spent less money going to this clean, uh, uh, you know, to, to clean energy across the planet here, what's the holdup? A, how do they get away with saying, oh, it's too costly, it's going to destroy our economy, kill jobs? Um, how, how do they get away with that? And, and B, what underscores this? What are they trying to do? If it has nothing whatsoever to do with the economy, uh, and you sort of bring this up at the end of your uh, report on this at Vox, uh, why do you see the, uh, you know, the fight against doing what will otherwise save the, save the country and the planet money in a, in a fairly short term? Well, you, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the point I make at the end of that post is, um, you know, kind of the Citibank researchers, you know, go through this really, it's a really in-depth, detailed report. It's super fascinating, super wonky, and I recommend that people dig into it if they want to. But, the, you know, at the end of all this, they basically say, like, why would you not do this? Like, it's, it's got so many benefits and mm-hmm. so little downside. Why would you not do that? Right. But they don't answer the question, why would you not do that? And so that's what got me thinking, like, well... Why would we not do that? Why aren't why aren't we doing that? And of course, why we aren't doing it has everything to do with politics. So, even if the net costs are the same over the long term, or or even uh, you know the net benefits are much higher under a clean scenario, that doesn't mean there won't be losers. There's going to be winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And and you know it's it's the it's the, the sort of core fact of politics that losers are very loud and very organized and the potential winners lots of them don't even exist yet so you know a lot of a lot of the sort of uh, uh, financial beneficiaries Mm -hmm. of this transition would be brought into existence by the transition so they're not out lobbying they're not out making noise because they don't exist yet and uh, and and the people and the you know sort of the interests that do have power now that do stand to lose are very enmeshed in the in the political scene and give lots of money to candidates and yep. and you know so so their voice is what gets heard so that you know this is like this is the basic dilemma of progressive politics is how do you give future beneficiaries a voice in present day politics mm-hmm. when 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 present day beneficiaries like the like the fossil fuel companies are so loud and mm-hmm. so powerful and so big so so that's why it's not happening not because it wouldn't be of net public benefit it obviously would be at this point there's so much research piled up at this point we can just say i think that if if you want to say that the transition to clean energy is going to destroy the economy the burden of proof is on you at this point because there's so much research at this point saying otherwise so i think 
I would like to see, and this is what I sort of call for in the post, is I would like to see all these climate wonks and all these people who are, you know, interested in climate to turn their attention to political economy and start thinking more seriously about what are not the economic or technological barriers, but what are the political barriers to making this happen? Who's got the money? Who's got the influence? Who's connected to who? Who stands to win? Who stands to lose? And what are the best levers for working against that entrenched power. Like, I just don't think there's been nearly as much attention to that side of things as there has been to the sort of wonky economics of the thing. Well, you, point, you, like, the economics are worked out. You're right. And I think it was uh, when the, I, I, I want to say the World Bank a couple of years ago came out with what was a, a sort of a similar report to this uh, Citibank report and made clear that, uh, no, you know, it it ultimately will not be bad for the economy. Well, if it's not bad for the economy, if it's not bad for jobs, if it's actually good for the economy, actually good for jobs to transition to to clean energy, what's the holdup? And I realized, and I I think this is what you're getting at, uh, it comes down to not protecting the economy, but protecting a handful, a tiny handful of really, really rich people. They're not protecting the economy. They're not protecting fossil fuels. They're protecting the uh, wealth of a very few individuals who are invested in fossil fuels who don't want to see that go away. The Koch brothers, the, the you know, the, 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 the coal industry, just a very few owner, not even the whole economy, but just the people who control those businesses. And frankly... Well, well one of the things that yeah. City digs into is, uh, that the City report digs into mm-hmm. is, if the world got serious about this, if the world did this, if the world put its weight behind this clean energy transition, just how much um, what they call stranded assets right. would the fossil fuel companies face? Like, you know, stranded assets meaning wells and mines they don't need anymore, power plants they won't run anymore, enormous investments in exploration right. that they won't need anymore. And, you know, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's, it's, you know, for the fossil fuel companies, this is an existential question. This is, you know, it, it's different. Like the car companies can be like, fine, fine, we'll go electric. You know, it, almost any other industry can say, fine, we'll shift to the cleaner way of doing things. But fossil fuels, there is no, there's no plan B for them. Like they, they have hundreds of billions of dollars on the line, and it's, threatens to go up in smoke if the world does this. So they are extremely invested in affecting the politics of this. And there's no coordinated interest on the other side that has as much organization, as much money, as much power. So it's, you know, it's the same, like I say, it's the same thing about progressive politics, always the same dilemma progressive politics always face with is how to string together these diffuse yeah. smaller interests into a force that can counterbalance this very concentrated, very powerful force of fossil fuels. They've got access to these mines, to these wells, and if they don't extract it, they don't get to make money from it. And you're right. Well, you say it goes all goes up in smoke. Actually, they hope it does go up in smoke. Uh, they want to burn it. It won't go up in smoke. David Roberts, always great talking to you, my friend. Uh, David Roberts, uh, staff writer over at Vox.com. He is a must-read over there. And, by the way, a must-read on the Twitters. You can and should follow him at DRVox. David, always great talking to you, my friend. 
Thanks a lot, Brad. You bet. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to David Roberts from Vox.com. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, or find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks, where I am the Brad Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>